Welcome to the Girl on Top Shallon XO podcast. I'm your host, Shallon Lester, and you might know me from my YouTube channel, where I analyze celeb relationships and scandals for the lessons we can take into our own lives. But here on the podcast, I answer the best questions you submitted over the past week. Got a love quandary? Head to my website, shallonlester.com, to get connected and also shop my merch and take some fun quizzes. Be sure to rate and review this podcast if you like it and follow me on Instagram at ShallonXO and find me on YouTube for four new videos a week. Welcome back to Girl on Top, Shalloners. Let's get our mind right to receive the message. We're going to drop our jaw. We're going to relax our shoulders. We're going to take our tongue from the roof of our mouth, breathe into our belly, in through the nose and hold and exhale. Do that one more time. This time focus the oxygen into your brain, into your toes, into the tips of your fingers. Belly breath in and out again. All right, ladies, wake the mighty women. It's time to do some learning. So the first question is really interesting because it's about a girl who feels like she is the beta, 21 year old. So she says, I keep low key, but I still really crave praise. I avoid social media and keep away from humble bragging though. And I've accomplished more than people thought I would. But when I go back to my hometown, I feel awkward. Like I'm still this anxious teen. I meet up with friends from high school and they like love me, but I can't help but feel like they subconsciously look down on me because of my heritage. Like no matter what I do, I'm still lesser than. I always feel like the other, even though I remember being happy, definitely dorky though, in high school. Am I stunted? Am I weak? Am I egotistical? Why do I seek this kind of approval from peers? So what you're feeling is completely normal. Our needs as human beings, food, water, love, and love is approval. And social approval is huge. We're pack animals. We need a tribe to survive. So everyone craves approval from peers, like literally everyone. Social inclusion needs, they're primitive. So don't come down on yourself for why you want approval. But it's also natural to feel this way in your hometown and to just kind of regress into that teenage you. I mean, I know that I do when I go back to Irvine. It's like, I'm like, mom, I don't want the food in the fridge. Like, stop. What am I doing? I just had a high school reunion recently and basically no one came. And do you know why? Because no matter how your high school experience went, we all remember it as awkward and dorky and cringy. Even the popular people, like they were the ones who didn't show up. It was the dorky people who showed up. Do you know why? Because they were like, look at me now, motherfuckers. But the popular people who on some level knew that they were peak 17s, as I call them, they didn't want to go and hold themselves up to the alleged dorky kids who uh, actually turned out dope and rich and successful with cute spouses and cute kids and really fun lives. Like, hello, myself included. Dorks rule. Dorks finish first. But look, you aren't that person anymore. You aren't the teenager. That's not who you are. All of these fears are just that. They're fear and they're projection. What are people like thinking about us? What are people judging us for? Whatever we think others are judging us on, that's how we are judging ourselves, right? And we use, we project. I mean, that's what it's called. It's projection. And we sort of like smush these fears onto other arbitrary people. Sometimes they're not so arbitrary. Sometimes it's like, what does my best friend think? My best friend hates 
my ex-boyfriend. I can't get back together. My best friend is going to be furious. Well, yeah, she might. But she is like a manifestation of your own fears about getting back together, you know? And same with going back to your hometown. It's just the Greek chorus. So step back and look at it from that lens. And I think you'll find that you don't want to judge yourself on your, you know, alleged heritage or your alleged dorkiness. And again, hello, being a dork means you're smart and interesting, dorks rule. So then you don't need to fear what others are thinking about you. Introspection will arm you with confidence. And you can also see that you've come a really long way from high school you. Literally make a list of how you've grown, progressed. And so your hometown actually helped that along, I bet, right? Growth often comes from painful, cringy experiences, right? Growing pains, that's why it's called that. So reframe all of this. No one's out to judge you. No one secretly hates you. You're fabulous and you're worthy and everyone wants to stand in the light of that. Our next question is from Catherine. She said, my boyfriend follows tens, like maybe a hundred trampy women on Instagram, webcam girls, Instagram models, women who only post in lingerie. He doesn't like their posts and I don't think he's talking to them, but it still bothers me that he follows literally so many of them. He's an amazing partner and his actions continuously prove that he is head over heels for me, but I am like fixated on this. I perused so many relationship forums and this issue is like pretty 50-50 in terms of how women feel. Should girls have a say on the types of accounts that their partner follows? It disgusts me and it makes me feel less than, but I can also see how like controlling who he follows could turn into an unhealthy and abusive dynamic. Ooh, so smart. My girls are so smart. So yes, this is gross. It's, ugh. I truly can't think of anything more cringe than like a dude who like obsesses over Instagram models because like what is an Instagram model? I saw a meme that's like, oh, you're a model on Instagram? I'm a soldier in Call of Duty. Like, it's not a thing. Like, you're not closing, you know, the Balmain show in Paris Fashion Week. I don't understand how Instagram models make money, but okay. So to me, this is almost an issue of like bad taste more than anything else. But I think when it comes to like a relationship, we all have to accept that our partners and I, like, and us, we have different tastes. And more often than not, we're going to find some of it a little bit cringe little cringeworthy, whether it's the music they listen to or that ratty old t-shirt they love to sleep in or how they know every single song to Hamilton, their NASCAR obsession, or who they follow on social media. And you know what? We're cringy too sometimes. <gasps> oh, oh my God, ew, what? Yes, we are. We are cringy and creepy and awful, you know? And we don't want people holding that up to a light and being like, hello, I am actually judging you, but... It can be human nature. And it's difficult with Instagram because you have such a window into exactly what someone's doing. And sometimes that's not healthy. Like Max, my boyfriend, ex-boyfriend, like we didn't even follow each other on Instagram for almost two years because I didn't want to see who he followed or what he commented on or what he posted. I just wanted to see the person and not who he was online because people aren't always very polished online. Like they post lame stories. They comment on a celebrity's Instagram. Don't do that. It's so fucking lame. But like people do it. So maybe sit down and ask him because look, this isn't only a matter of cringiness. There is an underlying issue here. And right now you're focused on the topic. The root issue is that you're worried he's comparing you to them. You know, so get to that root issue, not the topic of you follow them. And why do you follow them? Because he's going to be like, what the fuck does it matter? I don't know these girls. He's also going to focus on a topic, which is, well, I'm not DMing them. I'm not talking to them. 
Why do you care? Let me live my life. But if you phrase it like, hey, you know, this is what the female experience is like. We are constantly compared to other women. We are constantly pitted against each other. We are judged by how we look, our bodies, blah, 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 blah. And you following so very many of these women makes me assume that you're judging me like this, that you're pitting these women against me consciously and unconsciously. Like, and you know what? Maybe you don't know that he isn't messaging them. Ask him, you know, just ask him and don't even just listen to what he says. Look at his body language. See if he's gaslighting you and turning it back around. Because I went through this with a dude. I was like, because he was, yeah, it was the same. He was following like tramps on Instagram. And I'm like, why are you following these girls? He's like, well, you follow Sean Mendez. I was like, excuse me, Sean Mendez is not the same. But perhaps the two dozen Sean Mendez thirst trap fan accounts like are a bit more on par. But see, that's my cringe. That's my cringe aspect. And yeah, it's weird and it's lame. And if I had a boyfriend be like, I don't want you to follow these Sean Mendez fan accounts, I'd be like, well, you're ridiculous and I'm going to. But you know, I could say uh, I'm not DMing Sean Mendez like I'm like a psychopath. Like I have no shot of like talking to him. And like maybe he does with these other girls, you know, maybe he can easily slide in their DMs like a lot of people meet that way. I, I hear it from the other end. So tell him not what you're mad about, but tell him how you feel. This makes me feel less than. This makes me feel blah, blah, blah. And then if he's like, I mean, hopefully, I think he's probably going to have a lot to say that's going to make you feel better. But if he doesn't, you can log that as a data point as well. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. So this is a good question. It's about family and money. So Andy says, a girl, she said, I'm 34, I'm unmarried with no kids. I live in California and I work remotely, but I make over $100,000 a year working for my family's business in a male-dominated industry. My parents want to retire soon and pass the business to my brother and I, but he and I do not get along. He's 39, married with kids, and basically a narcissist. He spread lies about me to my family and friends that he's never going to own up to, and he's only nice to me when he needs something. My parents want to retire, but my brother, well, sorry, my parents want to retire and pass the business at a 70-30 split in his favor, so he gets 70%, but my brother made it clear that he doesn't think I deserve ownership in the business, and he ignores my talent. If you were me, what would you do? Ooh. So sometimes we get bamboozled by a certain aspect of a situation. Like, oh, we fall for a guy just because he's famous, you know? Or we keep hanging out with a sucky friend because she pays for everything or invites us to all the parties. And I think what you're hung up on here is the family aspect of this. If you took away the fact that this was your parents' company and that you were related to these people, and if you looked at that from a standpoint of objectivity... How would this look to you? I think maybe you would see there would be a small portion, you would have like a small portion of a business run by someone who disrespects you, belittles you, lies about you, and it's probably going to be like that forever. 
To me, that's not a bet I would take. That's not a scenario that you're going to work yourself out of. And every single day when you wake up, you're going to be more and more frustrated and bitter and rightly so. And like you're, and at some point the tipping point is going to occur when you're not just frustrated at your brother, you're mad at yourself because now you're in, you don't know how to get out. You had your chance to get out. You didn't, whatever. And like, for what? Family legacy? Well, let him worry about that. Someone's taking over the business. It's not just going to collapse into a heap of dust. And you know what? Narcissists and shitty people, they make great business owners. You know, we have a psychopath in the White House. Like, bad people get ahead. So I almost think that his bad behavior and like the minority stake in the business is a blessing. It really put the writing on the wall for you and lets you disentangle yourself from an opportunity that maybe once had potential, but in actuality does not. So Vicky submitted this question. She said, my 25 year old sister was diagnosed with BPD and she refuses to seek help. She'd rather smoke and drink instead. She's really, really frustrating. Like for example, she called the police on me and lied and said that I tried to stab her she gives guys STDs on purpose. She always puts guys and friends first, of course, over her family, even though she's giving them STDs. And obviously there, she has toxic relationships. She doesn't take anything seriously, and she doesn't take responsibility for anything. She looks for any excuse to blame my mom for her actions. She's physically and verbally abusive towards my mom, who is 60. She lies about everything. She even literally lies about the weather. Should I just cut her off completely, or can she still change because she's still young? So I'm not sure if you meant bipolar or borderline personality disorder, but honestly, like who, who fucking cares? Like this person sounds like a nightmare. And the, the point is, is not what they have. It's that they don't care that they would rather spew their vitriol and their bad behaviors and their toxicity all over everyone else rather than get help. You know, this is clearly a very toxic situation for you and the rest of your family. And yeah, she could get help and make a change, but she doesn't want to. And that is her choice. And when someone makes a choice, they also choose the consequence. And in my opinion, the consequence should be that you don't stick around and watch the car crash. I think it would be the best thing actually for your family if you set an example and stepped up and said, this is absolutely not acceptable. I'm putting up some boundaries and giving you some tough love until you decide you were going to get some help. I think it would do your mom, honestly, a world of good because right now, like there is no, like there's no, there's consequences for your mom, but she feels too guilty to give that tough love. But at the end of the day, it's also your mother's choice how invested she wants to be in this mess and stay connected. And her choice does not have to be your choice. You have the divine animal right to protect your peace of mind, your future, and this person is not furthering those goals. She's just not. And she's not furthering them on purpose. So... Yeah, she's young. She can still change. It's not about youth. It's about intention. And if she doesn't have that intention, I don't care if she's 15 or 55. The situation isn't going to get better. You know, hopefully one day in the future, she is going to wake up and be like, this is not working for me. But I found that people will just keep on with their bad behavior unless there's some very severe consequences. And truly, I can't think of anything more severe for her than losing you as her sister. All right. So Sarah submitted this question and she titled it Love. We'll talk about that in a minute. I recently went on a trip a few weeks ago and ended up meeting this guy who was in my group. I'm 19, he's 23. We immediately hit it off and after a few days, we started hooking up. We opened up about everything from our families to what we want in the future. The problem is he lives in Denver and I live in Chicago. 
And he said, I really like you and I think you're great. I want to see where this goes. But once we parted ways, it's like he's been leaving me unread on Snap, being kind of passive, just that whole blah thing. I just don't feel like he cares. He said something about visiting on Valentine's Day, but it feels like it'd be a hookup. What should I do? I might have said this before, but guys are not good at very many things. Almost nothing, actually. But they are excellent at one thing, compartmentalization. This means they can categorize a girl or as an or an experience, excuse me, and sort of limit their emotional involvement. And despite what he said, he viewed you as a vacation relationship, a vacation ship. And that's why it was so easy for him to open up. The stakes were low. He knew he wasn't going to have to see you day to day or back up what he was saying or even have to live perhaps with the judgment of the stories he told you, you know? It's almost like a therapist. You just dump all this information because you're going to leave the office and everything's going to be stored right in there. That's why therapy works because they don't know you and you can just kind of like put it on a shelf in an office and go. Women always leave room in their hearts for relationships and we look for ways to make something work. And guys, well, they do the opposite. They tell themselves a million stories about why it's not feasible, blah, 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 blah. You know, Colorado and Chicago, they're not that far apart. There's been more than a three-hour flight to divide two people. But if his mind is sort of made up that this is not necessarily viable, then that is what it is. And I know what you're thinking, but he said he wanted to make it work. Okay, well, you know what? Talk is cheap. It was easy for him to say things in the heat of the moment with you right in front of him. And he probably felt it. You know, I don't think he was lying, but men are reckless. They're like children behind the wheel of a car. So he gets back home. He gets back in his routine, checks the flight price, unpacks, does his laundry, realizes, you know, this is a lot more work than I can or want to put in. And he might not even be saying that consciously to himself, but his behaviors are skewing in that direction. So you're right. If he visits or if you visit him, it will be a sex-filled hookup weekend. And he's going to go back to his life and compartmentalize you again. And you are just going to get deeper and deeper into these feelings and the confusion, right? Because you're going to have more deep talks. You're going to have more fun. He's going to be compartmentalizing. You're going to be progressing and not in a good way. Also, you know what I say about people in different life arenas, which you guys might be in, like this age thing, the age difference. I think maybe because you're younger than him, he might view you as having less power in this dynamic, which is going to make him a bit of a douchebag and let him think he's got all the power. So definitely be careful. Oh, the whole thing about love. Okay, yeah, I forgot about this part, sorry. It's interesting that like she titled it love because you know what I always say, like we, it really takes a long, long time to get to know someone. And one trip one month even, it's not, it's not enough. We are still reacting to their social mask. We are still reacting to the curated version of themselves they have edited and refined and chosen to let us see. We are allowed to just see this peek under the hood. This is not who they really are. So we might be very open and vulnerable, but that isn't what love is. Love truly comes from knowledge and you simply don't have that data yet. So don't tell yourself, I love him. Girl, you don't know him. You don't know him and that's okay. You shouldn't. It's not healthy and it's not normal to know him. So if you tell yourself, love, it's love, I love him. You're gonna give someone a pass for all sorts of behaviors. That's just human nature because it's love. No, it's a vacation hookup. And when you phrase it like that to yourself, it's like, Okay, well, no, I'm not going to spend 500 bucks on a flight. I'm not going to waste a weekend. No, it was fun on vacation, and that is what it is. If you put a serious label on it, you're going to 
enable yourself to do serious things and those things probably are not going to serve you. Emily has a question about friends and it's one I know a lot of us have experienced. She says, I have two friends that are both really important to me, Mandy and Rosie. Mandy always wants me to hang out with her and watch shows, which we do and have fun. Rosie and I message a lot, but she doesn't have as much time to hang out with us. Mandy's always tagging Rosie and best friend stuff on Instagram and like sucking up to her and vice versa, but they never really do it for me unless it's all three of us. Mandy also, like she'll tell me about her problems and use me for company, but doesn't praise me or hype me up the way she does Rosie. They still insist that I'm just as important to them, but I just feel really left out. What do you think? So I know what you're saying. Like, I I think all of us have been in this situation where we're kind of the odd man out, and there's a reason three's a crowd. There's a reason that phrase exists, because it's a difficult dynamic. Sometimes two people just vibe on a different level than they do with us, and it's always hurtful when your efforts aren't reciprocated. But that's the reality. You've communicated not how you feel about... Ab- excuse me, but more of like what you need. Like that's what you have to do. People need a call to action. Not just, you know, I I feel left out. It's like you need to say, please include me when you go to dinner. Or, hey, Mandy, when I say I'm upset, that's code for I'm about to fall apart and I really need you to listen to me. And if they don't step up or change, then the shortcomings are what they are, you know, but you have to tell them what they can do to make this friendship better. Not because like I'm forcing them and they should just intuit what I need magically. People don't always work that way. They're kind of thick, you know? And it's important for you to feel like you're doing everything you can to get the message across. Because then at the end of the day, if they don't if they don't modify like that, you have some crucial data points. We can't change anyone but ourselves, you know? So this is a good time for you to make additional friends as well. Not replacements, but supplements. You're kind of in a good spot because you have friends and it's always easier to make more friends than start from scratch. It's like, it's always easier to look for a job when you already have a job and you're not desperate. So maybe throw a little get together and have people bring other friends. Be open about it. Hey guys, this is a new friend mixer. Bring your fun girls, like bring your coworkers, bring your classmates, whatever. The number one question I get is how to make friends as an adult or not, no, not an adult, how to make friends. So that tells me everyone is kind of in your shoes. Like everyone wants to make these connections. So it should be kind of an easy problem to solve, right? The key to making friends is being emotionally vulnerable, like sharing real stories, not just surface talk, and mirroring feelings, not just content. So if someone is complaining about a professor being mean, don't counter it with another school story, but a story that mirrors the sentiment of their story. Feeling embarrassed, feeling called out, feeling ignored, whatever. That's going to let people know you're listening to them. That's going to promote bonding. And cast a wide net. Get involved in some new activities and try to chat up one new person a week. You might find that Rosie and Mandy are fine as like second tier friends and you can now enjoy them for what they are instead of taking their shortcomings personally. Our last question comes from Talia. She said, my ex made me feel as if his life were in my hands due to his depressive episode. His consistent blaming me for his episodes and his consistently telling me that I was all he had. I feel like I was in a really psychologically abusive relationship. He said hurtful things to me with like very little context, like I make bad art. And then he flip-flopped on whether or not he loves me. We still love each other, I mean, I guess, and I contemplate getting back together with him. Part of me believes that he didn't really do anything wrong. Part of me believes that this was like 
gaslighting though and that I really was in an abusive relationship, but maybe it's his depression. I don't know. How can I tell whether or not a relationship is and was psychologically abusive? Well, I can tell you this was an abusive relationship. This dude is an emotional terrorist and he's holding you hostage with his alleged depression and then using your devotion against you, gaslighting you, and mentally abusing you. And look, here's the thing. No one else needs to agree. If something doesn't make you happy, that is valid. It doesn't have to be like dictionary definition abuse to simply not be okay. My bar is really low for fuckery. Real low. Oh, but he's a good guy deep down. Who cares? Who cares? Who cares? I have my list of deal breakers and first and foremost is the most painfully simple question of all. Does this make me happy? Does this make me happy? It's, I mean, we ask ourselves this with the food we eat. Does this taste good? No. Why am I eating it? Do I like the show I'm watching? No. Why am I watching it? It should boil down truly in relationships to such a simple question. And even if a guy isn't doing anything wrong, even if he's not being mean to you or gaslighting you, really, like you can still say, I'm just not happy and I'm going to move on. So don't waste your time on quantifying how bad this was. Reread what you wrote. Like reread, all of you guys wind this back and listen to this again. It was very bad. But instead, look at the other question that matters. Why did you allow it to go on? Because you did allow it, you know, based on results, he got the memo that he could act however he wanted and you were going to stick around. All he had to do was pull this, I'm depressed. Depression doesn't mean evil. Depression doesn't mean abuse. And even if it does, even if you think it does, that isn't something you have to stick around for, okay? Do you really think you're helping that person get better if you're allowing them to be an awful human being to you? No. So you got to ask yourself, not just what's wrong with him, but you know what I say, what's wrong with you? Why did you tell yourself that this dynamic was okay? What are you still telling yourself to stay stuck in this like, like autopsy loop over his behavior? Like, you know, well, he did this and he did that and blah, blah, blah. Like, maybe I should get back together with him. Why are you telling yourself this? Why aren't you moving forward? What is it that you're saying, whether it's, I'm never going to do better. I deserve this. This is how my parents were. My mom didn't leave my dad. What is happening in your mind that is making this continuous? Look at what kept you there and then address that. Because his treatment of you is symptomatic of a larger issue in you. Whether it was, like I said, that familiarity. Did your parents like this? Act like this. Is it boredom? Is it a lack of self-worth? Follow what kicks up and address that. Then you can view relationship like a relationship like this, not as a setback, but as a set up to a new level of self-awareness. Well, that's it for this episode of Girl on Top. Thanks for being part of the Shalantourage. If you have a love question you need some help with, find me on my website, shallonlester.com, and be sure to connect with me on Instagram at shallonxo, and subscribe to my YouTube channel. Stay sweet, stay savage.